0: get started. Okay, so the person that you thank if you thank someone for anything, you acknowledge that that person has done the work or have done something that you appreciate. If you thank yourself, you believe that you are you are yourself to to be praised because you have done something well, right? Now in our relationship with God, this is a simple taste regarding true religion. Who do you thank for going to heaven? Now, many instinctively think that the thanks is for themselves. Because you see that when you ask people, why, would, why should God allow you to go to heaven? And people instinctively answer that question in the first person. They would say, well, because I have done this. Because I have gone to church. Because I have read my Bible so many times. Because I... And so really, if it comes down to that, who gets the thanks? Who should be thanked to go to heaven? Well, you should thank yourself then if that is what it took to go to heaven, if you just had to be a good person. But the reality is that our law keeping is a false hope of salvation because we have all broken God's perfect law. None of us have kept it perfectly. Therefore, We cannot look to ourselves. We have to look outside of ourselves for salvation. And thankfully, no pun intended, God has provided this for us in the person and work of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has come. You see, so you have to answer that question in the third person. Why why am I going to heaven? Because he, because Jesus paid the price, because he died for me. He saved me by grace. He has kept the law without fail. He alone took the cup of God's wrath on the cross and satisfied it completely. He alone is risen from the dead, ascended on high, seated at the right hand of the Father. And therefore there is no other name given among men by which we are to be saved but by the name of Jesus. So in our text, Paul gives us his testimony. Paul tells us how he was saved from his sins. And it was not through his law-keeping. As a Jew, as a Pharisee, or as a Hebrew of Hebrews. It was because Jesus saved him. And Paul cannot contain himself. After he shared his testimony, as it were, he bursts out into a doxology, into a praise, into a song. And our text both begins and ends with thanksgiving and and praise. Notice that in verse 12, the very first line, he says, I thank him. And look at verse 17 at the end, to the only God be honor, glory forever and ever. You see, Paul's whole life is now wrapped up, radically changed. He is now a man filled with praise, filled with thanksgiving. And Paul tells this to to young Timothy and to us as a church to remind us of our glorious Savior. And that no matter how difficult life can get, remember Timothy's in a very difficult situation. He has to silence false teachers. This is discouraging. And he says, listen, don't, don't grow weary. Remember your Savior. Remember what this true gospel does in our lives. It both saves us and it strengthens us to serve Jesus. So that's what we will look at. We'll look at Paul Paul's service, Paul's sins, and then look at Paul's savior and then conclude with Paul's song. That will be our outline tonight. So first, let's consider together Paul's service. Paul's service. Paul reminds Timothy that he has been appointed into Jesus's service, not by his own initiative, but by Christ and that he is faithful to strengthen. Look at verse 12, verse 12 again. It says I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Paul says he thanks Jesus that he has strengthened him. Now the first question is strength for what? Well, strength to serve Jesus. Strength for the ministry. Strength to be able to do what God has called him to do. And Paul's point is, I didn't appoint myself. Jesus appointed me. He strengthens me. Not like these self-appointed false teachers. I have been chosen by Christ. And it reminds us, if he says, I've been strengthened for this ministry, that the Christian life is hard. It is difficult. It's sometimes hard to be in a church and to be a Christian, right? Church sometimes can be draining. Our lives, our challenges in our lives can be draining. No doubt Paul includes this for Timothy to say as Jesus has strengthened me Timothy he can strengthen you with your calling with your ministry and beloved for all of us in whatever situation you are in that is your current calling from Christ where you find yourself in the job you have the 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 how many children you have right parents or married. if you're married that's a calling from christ and you need supernatural strength to be able to be faithful there if you have one child you have enough grace for one amen you don't have enough for two (laughs) so don't get overwhelmed if your environment if your colleagues if there's so much evil at your work it's like how am i going to endure this I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. Strength to be faithful. That is what we are aiming to do. Paul says it. What does he say in verse 12? Because he judged me faithful. Paul says, that's, I was faithful, and that's why Christ appointed me into his service. To be a pastor, to be in the ministry, they are high qualifications 1 Timothy 3, we will study that later on in the series. God gives us his qualifications for an elder. Now Christians sometimes get this wrong. They don't understand this. They confuse qualifications for ministry with God's grace to forgive. Let me give an example. Imagine a pastor falls into a sin, a public sin like adultery or something like that. And then the church forgives the pastor and restores the pastor that he is still a pastor. And they might say something like this, well, who are we to judge? Are we not all sinners? Who wants to throw the first stone? Now what what they confuse, what we miss in that, is that they confuse God's forgiveness with the qualifications for ministry. A pastor might be fully forgiven and might still be a Christian but unqualified to be a pastor if you are unfaithful. So in other words, we can, we, we're not saying a pastor cannot be forgiven, but if the pastor is living a life of sin, he cannot be a pastor in that church. And this is true for all of us, beloved. Your actions, your choices have consequences in your life. Right? You can be saved. You can go to heaven by grace. But what should be our aim in our life should be to be faithful with what Jesus has given us to do. All sin will be forgiven. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And yet our desire is, Lord, I want to be in your service. I want to be hardworking. My aim in my family is to be faithful with my family worship, to lead my wife and my children in Bible reading and prayer, to, to, to be faithful to spend time in the Bible, in prayer, in my quiet times with the Lord. I want to be faithful to that. I want to commit I want to be faithful as a Christian to work hard that when other people see my good works, what does Jesus say? Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works, that they may glorify your father. So the irony is that our lives of faithfulness makes God look good. And that should be our longing. Lord, thank you that I'm saved. And even in all my failings, you still love me. But Lord, I want to be faithful in my life, in my service, in my calling as a mother, a father, a husband, a wife, as a worker, as a student. This is Paul. He's saying, Christ has given me strength to be in the ministry, to be faithful. And he can do that for you, Timothy. He can do that for all of us if we trust him. Now, someone who knows Paul, reading this, might say, whoa, 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 wait, Paul. Did you just say you were faithful? That Jesus thinks you are faithful. Don't people know what you have done in your life, your past life? Who do you think you are, Paul? Well, he immediately clarifies something. He's just said, I'm in I'm in Christ's service, and here's the second point of the outline. Now we will look at Paul's sin. Paul says, Well, I am appointed, I am faithful now, but that not that was not who I were who I were, who I was. In verse thirteen. Look at verse 13. He says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. Look at that. Paul says, I was a blasphemer. He blasphemed the name of Jesus, rejected Christ, Jesus as the Messiah. He did more than that. Listen to Acts 26 verse 11. He said, I punished. So this is Paul talking. In Acts 26, verse 11, it says, I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. So Paul didn't just blaspheme himself. He tried to cause other Christians to curse the name of Christ or to blaspheme the name of Jesus. He was also a persecutor, an insolent opponent. Paul was a violent, murderous man. He approved of killing Christians. Remember, they put the, the their cloaks at his feet when they stoned the first Christian martyr, Stephen. Now, behind the word insolent lies the idea of someone who finds satisfaction in humiliating other people and hurting other people. This is who he was. Now, it's almost hard for us to imagine that Paul could have been a man like that, Right? A man that's so aggressive, so violent, so full of rage that kills people. Anyone that looks at Paul at, at that state of his, stage of his life would have said unsavable. Lord, there's a lot of grace for people that don't kill people, okay? you know. But that man, it's over. Lord, in, in, on the contrary, please, would you would you stop him? Would you judge him? And I think that's why he calls himself at the end of verse 15. Look at that. He says, of whom I am the foremost. I am the chief of sinners. When Paul considered his life as a, as a non-believer, he says, I'm at the top of the list. I'm the worst. None of you could have beaten me in my sin. But something happened to this man. Something Changed this man so deeply that he is now not a man full of hate and rage and violence, but a man full of thanksgiving and praise and love and gratitude, dying for other people. Now we can anticipate that already with one word in verse 13. Look at it again at verse 13. He says, though formerly, formerly in the past, this was who I am. I was that's not me anymore that's not who I am now and that should encourage all of us your life of sin today can be your former life tomorrow your life of sin today can be your former life tomorrow now what changed what happened how did he what person did he find or rather what person found him And this is the third point. Paul had a savior. Let's consider Paul's savior in verse 13b. But I received mercy because I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief. Paul said, I received mercy. If anyone deserved to be killed on the spot by God, it was Paul. On his way to kill Christians. Even remember what Jesus said. Why are you persecuting me? And sometimes God does that. Sometimes God does bring swift justice. And he doesn't have mercy on people. But God is free to show mercy to whomever he please. This reminds us of what God said to Moses in Exodus 33 verse 19. God said to Moses. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. In this case, Paul does give one reason for why he received mercy. Look at what he says in verse 13. I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Now, that doesn't mean that Paul says, I deserved God's mercy. Ultimately, mercy is only found in the merciful character of God, in who he is. However, his sin against the church and to Jesus was due to his ignorance, was due to his unbelief. In other words, he didn't sin open-eyed. open He actually believed what he did was the right thing. He was zealous for his, the tradition of his fathers and for the law. No note, even though he sinned ignorantly, doesn't take away his guilt. That's an important point. Just because he didn't know he was sinning doesn't make his sin any less sin. It was still sinful. He still deserved to be judged by God. But it reminds us of the prayer of our Lord on the cross. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And I want to argue that's all of our sin. All of our sin really is we're not really understanding what we are doing. It's so evil. If we really understood what we're doing, we wouldn't sin at all. There's only one sin That is open-eyed. And that is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That is when your eyes have opened, you see what you're doing and you don't care. That's what the Pharisees did with Christ. They saw his miracles and they said, not God. The demons are casting out demons. And that's the blasphemy against the Spirit. Only that sin cannot be forgiven. But Paul says, I didn't just receive mercy, I also received grace. Look at verse 14. And the grace of our lord overflowed for me. So, what's the difference between mercy and grace? Now, many of you might know this distinction, but it's good to repeat it. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. And grace is to get something you don't deserve. Okay? If I can use an il- uh, illustration with a hiding, my son disobeys me. What does he deserve? Discipline, a hiding, okay? Now, mercy would be to say I'm not going to give you a hiding. I'm not giving you what you deserve. Grace would be okay, let's go for ice cream. I'm giving him something he doesn't deserve. That's on top of the mercy, okay? Mercy and grace. Mercy withholding punishment, withholding what you deserve. And grace is to give you something you don't deserve. That's what God has done for us in Christ. He has not just canceled our sin. And not send us to hell. That's already amazing. But he's given us eternal life. Heaven. A new body. New heaven. New earth. We have eternal gladness to look forward to. And Paul says this grace has no limits. Look at verse 14. He says, I received the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. The word overflowed. Carries the idea of more than enough. That after it has been given, there's left over. It's like a mighty river that flows, overflows at its banks. Washing away all Paul's sins. And then appointing him into the service of Christ. That's grace. and Beloved, even with a horrible, sinful past before you knew Jesus... You can still be saved and be useful for him. He can still use you. Like Paul. Paul said, this was my former life. I was a murderer. I was a blasphemer. And now I'm a a servant. And same thing with you, beloved. Whatever you've done in your past, grace can wash it away. And you can now serve Christ. You can be useful for the kingdom of God. He can make the chief of sinners the chief of servants and that's true for all of us so just don't believe the lie that if you've sinned in your past it's over no now he explains how his life has changed at the end of verse 14 look at the end of verse 14 he says the grace of our lord overflowed for me <clears throat> with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus this is literally the opposite of what he said in verse 13 what did he say ignorance and unbelief, insolent opponent. So the opposite of that is his heart is now no longer filled with unbelief, it's filled with faith. He now trusts in Jesus. And now instead of hate, his heart being polluted by hate and rage, his heart is now filled with love. Faith and love. That's the summary of a Christian life. Faith in God, love for God and love for people. He says, this is now who I am. No longer unbelieving, but faithful, no longer hating but loving. He was, as Second Corinthians five seventeen explains. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away; behold, the new has come. When grace comes into our lives, when Jesus saves you, He does it well. He does not just forgive you. Your heart is made new. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. The law is written on your heart. And he is working with almighty strength to help you kill your sin and to live holy. Now Paul now goes and gives us one of the most beautiful summaries of the gospel in verse 15. Look at verse 15. It says, The saying is trustworthy. And deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. This is the first of three trustworthy sayings in 1 Timothy. The rest of 1 Timothy will see these trustworthy sayings coming up again. And it is similar to what Jesus said. If Jesus would say, truly, truly, I say to you. And, And what's the idea? The idea is here are words you can bank your life on. Here are words you don't have to be doubting. You can put your entire future, your entire soul on this reality. And this stands in stark contrast to false teachers. The false teachers, remember, in chapter 1 verse 4, they focus themselves on myths, endless genealogies, which promote speculation. You see, false teaching gives you speculation it gives you uncertainty gives you doubt you're wondering what's real and what's not but paul says listen here is a trustworthy saying here is an anchor for your soul here is a foundation for your life and it is simply this that christ jesus came into the world to save sinners bank your eternity on that verse In that simple sentence, the whole gospel is contained, right? He came. He was incarnate. God the Son became a man, took on flesh, lived the perfect life, died the death you deserved. He came to save sinners. By the way, those are the only people available. Okay, there's only sinners in this world. He came for them. God so loved the world that he gave his Son. Everyone is commanded to repent and to believe in the gospel. The gospel is for everyone. And yet, it is very personal. Look at what he says. To save sinners of whom I am the foremost. For Paul, this is not just a great message for everybody out there. This is for him. This is personal. And this is another lie I think the devil does is... Yes it's true for everybody else except you. Right? Jesus is for everyone except you. It's like a very powerful, powerful medicine standing there and you say I believe in that medicine I believe it can heal me and you walk away and you don't drink it. You have to drink it. You have to it has to be applied to yourself. It has to be personal. Jesus must be believed in for yourself. You must believe in him. No one else must in your place. So don't delay. Why do you wait? Come to him now and put your trust in him and he will save you. Now, the contrast that Paul is making you of the law is worth repeating. Remember what we saw of the law. The law, the Ten Commandments, the, the rules of God can only show you your sin, but it is powerless to save you from your sin. The Lord just shows you how filthy you are. But Christ is the one that cleanses you and forgives you. The Lord can only punish you for your sin. And Christ took that punishment on himself. That we don't have to be punished. Therefore only Jesus can save you. Now, here is another one of those demonic lies that you have probably heard in your ears. Oh, but you don't know me, pastor. It's too late for me. I've sinned way too much. I've done too many crimes against my own conscience. I've done so many things that I already knew was wrong and I didn't care. I just did it. I've sinned against God with an evil heart, an evil motive in my my heart. Paul knew these schemes of the devil. He knew them. And that's why he gives the next verse to silence those accusations of the devil. Look at verse 16. He says, I received mercy for this reason that in me, as the biggest sinner, foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. I love that. Jesus saved Paul to make a point. And that is, if Jesus can be as patient with Paul, a killer of Christians, a blasphemer, he can be patient with you to come right now. And This is so beautiful, right? If he could save the chief, the worst of sinners, then he can save you as well. This is just the kind of God he is. We might be tempted to think, because God gave us the law, that he is a God that is bent on judgment, bent on sending people to hell, that he gets pleasure out of the death of the wicked. That that's just the kind of God he must be, because look at all these rules that he's given us. So far from the truth, (laughs) His laws are good. His laws are merciful. He is a merciful God. He says, "I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked." Note, if you die in your sins, he will not spare you. You will go to hell. He does judge. But he doesn't judge from his heart. What does the Old Testament say? I'm not even going to quote the New Testament. People say, "Oh, the Old Testament's the angry God, the New No. The Old Testament The Lord the Lord, a God who is merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity. This is Moses. This is Exodus. Right? This is not, we're not far in the Bible yet. (laughs) Okay. And what does he say? I'm slow to anger. What is that? That's patience. Someone who's impatient is quick to anger. Quick. God is not like that. God is slow to anger. You see, the real wonder of our lives is why you and I are not in hell yesterday. That's where we were to be that's where we should have been yesterday. And yet you are still alive today. That's patience. Why? That you might repent, that you might turn from your sin, that you might come to Christ. And if this gospel hits you, this good news, if you've encountered the risen Jesus, what will happen to you? The same as with Paul. Praise. Thanksgiving. We've seen Paul's service appointed by Jesus and strengthened by him for the ministry. And Jesus did that despite Paul's sins because Paul had a Savior whose patience is perfect. And now he closes off with a song. Paul's song. He cannot contain himself after recounting, thinking of what he was, how Jesus saved him and then appointed him to serve him. I just need to say this. I haven't written this down, but I know there might be some of you like me that haven't been living like Paul, maybe like an excruciating or bad sinful life. Here's the other lie the devil would use I'm not sinful enough to be saved. I just need to go and sin. Uh, let me just do some sins and then maybe Jesus will save me because I think I'm too good of a person. <laughs> now, I know that sounds crazy, but that's the kind of things the devil would use. And that was what he said to me. I read through my Bible before I was saved. So I was a good person. But oh, if you would just have one glimpse of your sin, you would you would know no one is good. None is righteous. Right? Even the best people are greedy, covetous, angry, judgmental. We need a savior, all of us. And if you know that, you would burst into this song of praise in verse 17. It says, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice. How God-centered his singing is, his praises. It's full of God's attributes, who he is. Our songs should be saturated with the attributes of God. Our songs should have content, should have weight. We should be singing of who he is and what he has done. That should be the subject of our, our worship. And look at what he says. He is called the king. The king, that emphasizes the one who has supreme authority over all things. He reigns and governs over all things for his own glory and for our good. He is called the king of the ages. That is, he's eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is the alpha. He's the omega. Long before you were born, he exists. And long after you you are going to die, he will exist forever and ever. He's the great constant of the universe of everything he does not faint or grow weary he gives power to the faint and to those who are weary for those who wait for him he's called the immortal god that is he's not subject to decay or aging or yeah you, know, you know what i wanted to say <laughs> some of you i mean i'm 30 years old and i'm tired okay maybe it's my two kids i think it's i blame it on the kids But God still has the same energy today than he had when he created the world. He doesn't fade. There's nothing. He's not losing anything when he does anything. After I've played for five minutes with Jordan, I need to lay down. I'm done. (laughs) God's not like that. He's immortal. He's the invisible God. God is spirit. And as God, he is not contained by anything. He's everywhere present, knows everything, can see everything. It's only in Christ. What does Colossians 1 say? Christ is the image of the invisible God. When we see Jesus, we see God. God in the flesh. And lastly, he's the only God. Some translations, the only wise God. But he is the only God. What's the point? There is only one. There is no other God's. Isaiah 43 verse 10, it's a good verse to know. It says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. By the way, that's one of the ways you can just talk to a Jehovah witness and say, God says there's no Savior except Jehovah, except Yahweh. And Jesus is called the Savior in Titus 1. So if Jesus is the Savior and Yahweh say, there's no Savior besides me, Jesus must be God. He is God. And this all that God, look at the end of verse 17, to this only God be honor and glory forever and ever. This is where the gospel should lead you. This is what Jesus should do to your heart. Lift it up to sing to him. Thank him for what he has done. It is well known that this one verse, 1 Timothy one seventeen, was one of the deciding factors in a, another man's life, Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was 17 years old. And listen to what he wrote when he read this verse, 1 Timothy one seventeen. He says, as I read these words, 1 Timothy one seventeen, there came into my soul... And as it were diffused through it. A sense of the glory of the divine being. A new sense. Quite different from anything I ever experienced before. Never any words of scripture seemed to me as these words did. I thought with myself. How excellent a being that was. And how happy I should be. If I might enjoy that God. And be wrapped up to God God in heaven. And be as it were. Swallowed up in him don't you want that don't you want to know your creator your savior the savior even of the chief of sinners amen let's pray Father, we thank you for your words that are trustworthy, deserving of full acceptance. Lord, on these words, these words are a solid rock for our our souls. Jesus said, if anyone hears these words and do them, they'll be like a wise man that builds his house on the rock. Lord, our obedience is not the rock. Our good works are not the rock. Your words are the rock. It's it's eternal. It, it, It holds us. Thank you, Lord, that you are merciful, that you are gracious, that you are slow to anger, that you've spared us another day, that we might know you, that we might repent. O Lord, draw us to yourself, help us, Lord, and strengthen us, that we might be faithful in our lives, to honor you and glorify you. Lord, may we meditate on your attributes and who you are, and may we be wrapped up in you, Lord, and desire also to know you more, we pray.